is the way, the truth, the life. Hallelujah. Hosanna. He is the Savior. He is the Redeemer. Jesus Christ, the everlasting God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He is. He is. He is the Savior. He is the King. Come. He is the Savior. But then one day Jesus told his disciples on his way to Jerusalem where he was about to be received with the palm branches and the declaration of his majesty and his glory. And he says to his disciples, referring to himself as the Son of Man, I must needs go to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, where I will be delivered up to the chief priests and scribes, I will be delivered into their hands to be beaten and to be scourged and to die and on the third day rise again. When one of his disciples, Peter, heard this, he began to rebuke Jesus. Why? Because Peter could not accept this declaration of the eternal Son of God, the one you just heard sung about, the one he is. He is all of these things. And Peter could not see how the one who was all of these things could be brought to Jerusalem and could be killed. Why, he is the Prince of Life. He is the Son of God. How could he die? This is why Peter began to rebuke him. Jesus actually turned to Peter and he said to him, Peter? Well, that's not actually what he said. He didn't use his name. He looked at him and he said, Get behind me, Satan. He said that to one of his own disciples. Why? Because Peter had been pierced by one of Satan's fiery darts, one of his lies. And when Jesus clearly stated the truth, Peter could not accept it because in his mind, they were on their way to crown Jesus as king. How could he come to Jerusalem and be killed? Peter wasn't the only one who couldn't accept this. Neither could any of the disciples. They could not comprehend, they could not understand how this man they had come to know as God could die. Over the past many years, a little tradition I've made for myself on Good Friday is to take two hours and to read through or listen through to the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the Gospels. In my opinion, it's the most dramatic of the Gospels. You can do it in just two hours. It's inspiring. You read through the accounts of who Jesus is. And wow. Are you amazed as you think of who he is? Would you take your Bibles with me and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark? 
I'd like for us to just take a few moments to survey and to review some of the history of who Jesus is and not to forget why he came to die. But after I tell you here not to forget, can I ask you to do just that? Can I ask you to imagine that you don't know the story, that you don't know the history of what happens? Put yourself in the shoes of those disciples and let us meet Jesus. They begin to find Jesus, and as the Gospel of Mark begins to recount his life. Many believe that, this, that John Mark wrote this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit with Peter giving him firsthand accounts. Peter giving him firsthand accounts, it is believed. We begin in Mark chapter 1, and we find that Jesus is baptized. And we find that he is declared to be the Son of God. Jesus goes into the wilderness, and just like every one of us, he is tempted to sin. But he did not sin. For in him was no sin at all. Even from a young child, he obeyed his mother and father. He never told a lie. He never even thought an unkind thing. He was perfectly sinless. And as time goes by, he calls some men, 12 men particularly, to come to be his disciples. He says to them, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And there was just but a small group of them that were going forth to catch men, to share with them the truth of the gospel. Jesus begins his ministry with power and authority over demons, fallen evil angels. He has power and authority, though these demons and angels... Have, have, have possessed men. Jesus has the authority to cast them out. And he does just that. Even before we get out of chapter 1, we find out that Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus heals her. He heals her. He continues to go about healing many who were diseased and many who were possessed with devils. He heals the lepers, those people who have a disease that was incurable in that day. No one thought it could be cured, and yet he cleansed them. He healed them. He healed a man who had never walked, never walked the cripple he healed. He reached out to those who were despised in the world, those tax collectors. We got tax season coming up nowadays, and all you guys get frustrated with is the forms. Well, in those days, it was a person. Yet Jesus reached out to such a despised man, and he showed him love and called him to follow him, and Matthew, Levi, did. Jesus then heals on a Sabbath day. To the Jews, this was horrific, all that he had done. For the Sabbath day was a day of rest, and Jesus proved not only to his disciples but to all that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He continues to go about, though at this time now, the Herodians, those were the people who were loyal to the Herod family, that King Herod, they want to at this point to begin to kill him. But in spite of that, Jesus' ministry continues to go on and he begins to heal the multitudes. As many as even had a plague or disease would touch him and they would be healed. It was amazing. We find there in chapter 3 that the multitudes thronged him. Fishers of men, it was coming true. 
His popularity was spreading. It was spreading abroad, around the whole region. Jesus began to teach and to explain truth. He talked of the kingdom of heaven. Many were excited about this, but many of them did not understand. Jesus himself demonstrated and proved in chapter 4 that he was the creator as he had power over the sky and wind and sea. He stilled the storm on the sea with just three words, peace, be still. His disciples were amazed again, realizing that he is the king. He continues into chapter 5, and he is casting out horrific demons. A demon who says his name was Legion because he was many. 6,000 demons in one demonstrating again his incredible and amazing power. Chapter 5 continues with him healing people. Recounts to us the history of a woman who had a bleeding issue for seven years and could not find any healing and had consumed all of her money and was in destitute poverty. But she had faith in this man. Who is he? In the healer, in Jesus. And she but touched him and was healed. In chapter 6, Jesus returns back to Nazareth, his home boyhood town. But it was found that there is no prophet in his own country with honor. They treated him without honor, though he healed the sick folk. He laid hands upon them, healing them. They wanted to cast him over a cliff to his death. But he just walked out from the midst of them. He goes into a desert place for rest because the multitudes now had been thronging him. After a time of rest, he came again to the multitudes and he began to again teach them for he saw them as sheep having no shepherd and he saw them as those who were scattered and he taught them many things. They were hungry at the end of the day. And Jesus, just from five loaves of bread and two fishes, he fed 5,000 men and their families, demonstrating further that he is the creator, that he is God. The disciples are amazed. He sends them to go across the Sea of Galilee, and that night as they're going across the Sea of Galilee, a storm arises in that sea, and the disciples are terrified. They're about to die. And they see Jesus walking on the water to them in the boat. We don't have time to go through the whole history of all of this. But when he came into the boat, he again demonstrated his power not only to walk on water, but again to calm the sea and the winds. He teaches them. He warns them of the hypocrites. He warns them of those who have an appearance of religion but are not those who obey or follow God. He heals. He teaches. In chapter 8, he's already fed 5,000 men and their families, and in chapter 8, he does it again, this time with 4,000 fed. He heals a man who is blind. And then we come to chapter 8, and will you turn there with me, particularly Mark chapter 8 and verse 27. It says, and Jesus went out 
and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? You might remember the song that the choir just sang a few moments ago. I am he. Do you recall all of those things that they sang of who he is? Well, Jesus asked the question, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others, one of the prophets. Jesus, he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter, he answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. You know what that means? Peter was saying to Jesus, you are the chosen one. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one of God. You are the promised deliverer. You are the Christ. And Jesus charged them that they should tell no man of him. We don't have time to go into all of the details and reasons perhaps why he told them this. It had much to do with what he tells them next. Look with me what Jesus began to teach them. Mark chapter 8, verse 31, And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man himself must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Can you do for me what I asked you to do a few moments ago? Forget what you know. All that you know is what I have just told you about who this Jesus is. He has raised people from the dead. He is the healer. He is the creator. What's this about suffering many things, about being rejected, about being killed? Peter couldn't see past that. For here it is recorded that Peter began to rebuke Jesus. That means to tell Jesus he was wrong. Now, some of you are sitting back shuddering like, oh, you don't tell Jesus he's wrong. Oh, you're right. I've had to ask myself the question when I look at this and so easily judge Peter and say, do I do the same thing? <laughs> it's a legitimate question to ask. Do I do the same thing sometimes when I read truth in God's word? Or I avoid truth in God's word because I don't want it to change who I am? That's kind of like rebuking Jesus. Peter can't accept what Jesus has said about suffering, can't accept what Jesus has said about being killed. And I know how human beings work. He probably didn't even hear the last phrase, that he must rise again. For here in verse 32, as he spake the saying opening, Peter took him and began to rebuke him. And this is when Jesus turned about and looked upon his disciples, and Jesus then rebuked Peter and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. 
For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And Jesus then goes on to teach his disciples that if they're going to follow him, they need to deny themselves. He begins to teach them what it really means and why he really came. Which leads us into chapter 9. Here he's just told them of the fact that he will suffer many things. He will be killed and he will rise the third day. And then the next chapter we have the account of him being transfigured before them. What's that mean? He went up into a mount with just three of his disciples, Peter among them, and he revealed to him his glory. His face shone. He showed just a little glimpse of himself in his glory and in his majesty. The disciples were inspired. But this caused them to struggle yet the more. They went and they saw one who was possessed by a demon, and the disciples who had been given power by Jesus, delegated to cast out demons, couldn't cast this demon out. And so they took him to Jesus, and Jesus did just as you may know, the Gospels have different accounts. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of these are the Gospels, the good news recorded, and they each record little different details. And after Jesus has healed this little boy who was possessed by a demon, it tells us in Luke's record that they, the people who observed it and witnessed it, including the disciples, over in Luke chapter 9, they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. They were just absolutely enthralled. Again, think with me now with the disciples. You've seen this man walk on water. You've seen this man have authority over the wind and over the waves. You've seen this man raise the dead to life. You've seen this man have authority and power over demons. You have seen him heal the multitudes. You have seen him transfigured before you in glory. And now you've seen him cast out a demon that none of you could. And the people are standing there amazed at the mighty power of God. But then it tells us, whilst they wondered, every one of them, at all the things which Jesus did, He spake to his disciples. And we'll read again now in Mark where you're at. Mark chapter 9, verse 31. They were passing through Galilee, kind of in secret. And he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Dear friends, could Jesus be any clearer? No. This is pretty simple. Even the youngest children can understand this. The Son of Man, referring to himself, is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. 
It's interesting that over in the Gospel of Luke, the and he shall rise the third day is dropped off, perhaps because the firsthand witness who was recording it to Luke missed that part because he was tripping over the fact that Jesus dies. They don't see how this is possible. How could he die? The title of my sermon this morning is The Son of Man Shall What? They couldn't understand, shall what? But you know, the title is given there as a question, and do you know why it's given as a question? Because the disciples didn't ask it. And I'm asking all of you to ask the question. Look at the historical narrative in verse 32 of Mark chapter 9. It said, but they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. It tells us over in Matthew's record that they were exceeding sorry. Over in Luke's account, it says, but they understood not the saying, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. They were afraid to ask because they did not want to believe it. They had settled in their mind who Jesus was and what was going to happen with him when he came to Jerusalem. He was going to come to Jerusalem as the king, as the deliverer, as the Hosanna. And they could not fathom that he was going to Jerusalem to die, even though he plainly stated it to them. The Son of Man is going to Jerusalem to be delivered into wicked hands to die. In one place, he actually says how to die, to be crucified. That must have even caused them even more to tingle. They didn't understand because they wouldn't understand. They specifically chose and wanted to be willingly ignorant. They did not want to face the facts. They could not accept that this man who walked on water would suffer many things. They could not accept the fact that this man who raised people from the dead would be killed. They couldn't accept it. They wouldn't accept it. So much so that they chose not even to ask questions. It was as clear as day. And they didn't understand it because they didn't want to understand it. And we know they didn't want to understand it because they didn't ask questions questions to clarify it. This isn't the only time this happens because you know what happens in the next conversation? Nope. Jesus says to them, I'm on my way to Jerusalem where I will suffer many things. I will be killed and after I'm killed on the third day I will rise. They totally missed that. And you know what starts happening in verse 33? They're traveling on down to Jerusalem and it came to pass that when they came to Capernaum and being in the house, he asked them what it was that they disputed among themselves by the way. So they've come through the day and apparently, not apparently, they did. Some of the disciples had a little bickering fight on the way down after all of this conversation with Jesus. And so when they get to their lodgings there in Capernaum, that city in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus says, what was the dispute about? Just so you know, he knew what it was about already. 
But he's a smart man, and he asks them why. And we come to find out that they again have totally ignored what's about to happen. And you know what they're fighting over? Which of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? We're on our way to Jerusalem. This is, they were actually anticipating Jesus being crowned king in Jerusalem, and they were having a conversation. Which of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Which of us is going to be the greatest? And they actually got into a little bit of a bigger fight over it. I have no idea what the details are, why, why one thought he should or shouldn't be able to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus began to teach them. He says to them in verse 35, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and the servant of all. He took a little child and set him in the midst to illustrate and to prove his point of receiving him as you receive a little child. He continues on down through this whole conversation. And if we were to loop back over into, into Luke, there he begins to speak and he begins to teach them. And in going down through all of these details, he reminds them again that he is going down to Jerusalem to die. He makes the point and he states it that this is a demonstration. This is a demonstration of the one who will serve others. In fact, in the conversation, he says that he will be again, suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and chiefs, priests and scribes, and be slain and be raised the third day. He speaks of himself giving of himself. They still could not fathom it. They couldn't understand Jesus teaching them and talking to them about taking up their cross and following him. They had in their mind what was going to happen. And though Jesus plainly told them what was going to happen, they couldn't accept it. Well, as you know, they came to Jerusalem. And at the beginning, they came into Jerusalem with the cheering and the shouting of the people crying, Hosanna, save, save, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But before the week was out, there was a crowd shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! And he was led through the streets of Jerusalem to a hill where he was nailed to a cross and he was killed. He was taken down from that cross dead just as he had said. The prince of life was dead. Many did not understand this, but be aware, he did not have his life taken from him. He is the prince of life, laid his life down. And the reason he died is because of my sin. The lies, the, the disobedience, the hate, all of the ugliness 
of who I am, of who you are, of who every single person ever to live has. Every sin he took upon himself and he died for us. Three days later, he came back to life. We just kind of tack that on nowadays, don't we? Well, this day we celebrate that. We celebrate that, and really every day of our lives we need to celebrate that he rose. He is alive. And you know those disciples who had spent all of that time with them, him and had seen him as the prince of life? They knew him as the Christ. They knew him as the Messiah. When he was taken down from that cross and put in that tomb, they thought all was over. Even when the reports came three days later that Jesus was alive, most of the disciples still couldn't believe it. They had so focused on Jesus as king and had so utterly fallen apart when he died that they couldn't even believe what Jesus had already told them. What happened? That three days later, he would rise from the dead. In fact, Jesus appeared to two of these disciples on the way to Emmaus, and he began to speak to them of himself. He actually speaks to them of their blindness. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me over to the Gospel of Luke, the last chapter, Luke chapter 24, where we find an incredible history unfolded before our eyes as these disciples who did not understand, partly because they refused to understand, began to understand. In Luke chapter 24, in verse 44, the risen, the alive, the once crucified, now risen Jesus has just eaten with the disciples. And he said unto them, Luke 24, 44. These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Here now he has died and he has risen. He has fulfilled what he told them he would do. And he comes back to them again now and he says, with the great patience great patience, he reminds them. All this that has happened to me is a fulfillment of what was written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then look at verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Dear friends, has your understanding been opened by the Spirit of Christ? And have you believed the Scriptures? Believe that Jesus died for you, was buried and rose again to give you life. Have you had your understanding opened by the Spirit of God? Look at verse 46. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer, 
and to rise from the dead the third day. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And if you this morning have had your understanding opened and you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have life. You have Jesus Christ's life flowing through you and it is everlasting life. And what difference should it make? Look what Jesus says. That all this was done and that repentance and remission, that is forgiveness of sins, should be preached in his, Jesus' name, among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send you the promise of the Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye have been endued with power from on high. What Jesus is basically telling his disciples, and by extension each and every one of us who believe in him, that indeed the scriptures have been fulfilled, that Jesus would come, suffer many things, be delivered to die, will die, will be buried, will rise again. All has been fulfilled. And this is so that could be preached abroad the remission, the forgiveness of sins and repentance beginning in that city of Jerusalem and spreading to all nations even now 2,000 years later to this place, South Bend, Indiana. In that day, the Holy Spirit had not yet come. For as we find out here, this command is given just 10 days before the Holy Spirit did come. We who have believed have received this power from on high, the Holy Spirit of God, so that we may walk in newness of life, that we may live in the Spirit of Christ, that we could walk in Him, and that we, you and me, can be witnesses of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that is possible only through Him and the life that He gives. And so I ask you this morning, what will you do with Jesus? The Son of Man must what? Have you asked that question for yourself? Die? Rise again? Have you asked the question, why? Have you heard the answer for your sin? Have you believed? Oh, do not be willingly ignorant. Every one of us need Jesus. Many times people have overcomplicated things or have raised questions that are not really questions, but rejections. Claiming to not understand because they don't want to understand. Do not be guilty of this. It is clear. It is simply, will you believe it? Sin is a serious problem. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, everlasting judgment in the lake of fire, a place also known as hell, a real place of judgment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal darkness and eternal fire, eternal judgment. All those who die with their sins not forgiven will spend eternity in such a place. 
But God is not willing that any should perish, and he so loves the world. That's why he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, and he lived a sinless life. He had no sin, but he was made sin for us because he took our sin upon him, and he died for our sin. He was buried, and he rose again so that none of us would have to go to the lake of fire. Rather, we could receive life, everlasting life, his life, just as the children sang at the beginning of the service, so that he could take us home to heaven. Have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and do you receive him? If you have, rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Go forth celebrating, not just on Resurrection Sunday, but every day. Rejoice and live and walk in the life of Jesus. He is alive and he lives inside of you. Will you accept the authority of Christ? Will you accept and acknowledge his word in your life? Do you read it or not? Sometimes we don't understand simply because we don't desire to know, to read what God has for us. Sometimes, again, we don't know how to live our lives because we don't want to know what God has said how to live our lives, even as Christians. Do not be willingly ignorant. Do not live in fear, avoiding the questions. Do not purposely complicate the simplicity of God's word of truth. Submit to the authority of Jesus and his word in your life. And witness. Did you see what one of the purposes of all this is? Is so that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in Jesus' name among all nations. Are we faithful witnesses? We have received the promise of the Holy Spirit promise there in verse 49. Do you know what these disciples did that day? It is exactly what each and every one of us who have received life need to do. For in this time, it tells us that he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and, and he blessed them. And as, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Jesus ascended up into heaven, promising to come back. And look with me at the last two verses of gospel, the Luke's gospel. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we're continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. If we have received the life of Jesus, let us go forth with great joy. Let us day by day worship him and let us continually be praising and blessing God. Amen. 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 Let us worship our God. Heavenly Father, we bow to you and give thanks again for you sending your Son. We give thanks for the life that we have. We give thanks for your goodness. May you be glorified in all things as we hope and rest in you. I pray that if there be those here this morning who have not believed on you, that today they would believe in you and receive life everlasting. And may we all continue with great joy. May we all continue blessing and praising you, our God. 
we worship you and we pray in your name. Amen.